This is the Common Sense Podcast presented by Tamar. I'm your host, Tamar Weinberg, founder and CEO of Tamar, and I will be talking to people of all walks of life who have suffered adversity and overcome to rise above the ashes and now make self-care and wellness an absolute priority. Hey, everybody. I am so happy to bring you episode 56 of the Common Sense Podcast. I have Frank here, and Frank is visiting. Frank Pogliari, he's visiting from a classroom. He'll explain in a moment. Thank you so much for joining. Where are you physically in the world besides the classroom, and what are you doing right now? <laughs> Thanks for having me. Hello. Um, so I, I live, uh, my wife and I moved to uh, Beaufort, South Carolina last year. Uh, December 2019. So, um, you know, we, we just got to the point where we were tired of the Northeast and uh, wanted wanted warmer weather. And um, so we, we visited here and fell in love with it. And it was a wrap. Cool. Six-month turnaround. <laughs> where where in the Northeast were you before? Uh, so I'm born and raised in Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay. Nice, nice. I was, and, I was born in Brooklyn also. Uh, all right, right on. So um, I, I was a pretty, I, I was a bad kid. I, I got into a lot of trouble. My father uh, decided that, be, you know, before he had to put me six feet under, as he liked to say, it, he moved. So he picked up the family and we moved to Pennsylvania when I was 16. I think, what was that, circa 1986? And, uh, and I lived in Pennsylvania until uh, 2019. Nice, nice. So we're in Pennsylvania, and I have to ask you that one. Okay, sure. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Lancaster. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so South Central, it's uh, it's right in the middle of everything, uh, an hour country. and a half from Philly. Yeah, I, I, I went, I did the Turkey Hill Museum, and I did the Amish Country stuff. Uh, and so that, so, so the Turkey Hill Museum? Literally two two miles from where I lived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, th- those are the tourist attractions. So I'm familiar. Yeah, my, yes. my, my husband's actually from Pennsylvania, um, Scranton. Yeah. Cool. Ah, home of the office. <laughs> that's right. Home, that's really what they're known for. And honestly, if you've ever been to Scranton, Pennsylvania, you would realize that there are just two types of people there. There are college students and they are very religious Jews. So yes, we fall in the I, second I, camp. I, I actually spent a couple of de- nights in uh, Scranton and ooh, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic, 100%. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, that's awesome. So you are physically, you. what do you do? So I, I am a a teacher. I've been in education for 22 years. Um, so my first job was in York City, York High. Uh, I, I worked in York City from 2000 to 2019. I actually thought I would end up retiring there. I, I the York City, it, it, it gets a lot of bad press. There, there's a lot of be it bad things that go on, but it's your typical like urban environment, um, high impoverished rate. But you know, what the community itself is just made up of some terrific souls, and um, to work there was really a gift. I, I enjoyed my time there thoroughly, and honestly, the that's what sucked the most about moving. You know what I mean? Was leaving that job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny, um, not not that I like, you know, I'm going to throw in, hey, I'm from Brooklyn, my husband's from Scranton. I was just doing, I do de- uh, genealogy, and I like to know about my cousins, my distant cousins, distant cousins, and I noticed that a lot of, I think that a, a lot of my cousins actually went to York High, so I don't know, I, like, I don't remember which ones, because <laughs> I go through a lot of people, a lot right. of names, but yeah, there are a lot of people in Lancaster who are, um, who came from that area, so... 
They probably have yeah. had, I like, these are just, they have no idea that I exist, but I know who they are because that's what I do. I like to, I, it's not just about the ancestors, but it's about the cousins and who they are. And I like figuring that stuff out. So you probably have, uh, actually, you probably know them more than I do. So it's interesting. <laughs> uh, quite a few kids. And then in the middle of, in the middle of my teaching career, also serving in New York City, I was an administrator. Uh, so I, I ran, um, I co-ran their alternative building and I basically hopped from school to school. And then I landed at uh, McKinley for my, the last five years, uh, no, the last three years of my uh, wanting to be a, an administrator. And then I went back into uh, teaching. I had enough of dealing with adults. <laughs> yeah, I get it. They're not as easy. Oh, man, I, I, I tell you what, I take kids and parents all day long. But as an administrator, I needed a vacation just from the, the people in my building. And they were all good people. But when you're that close for that amount of time and everybody is talking about something they care a lot and have a lot invested in, yeah, it makes for some long days. I can only imagine. <laughs> I, could to I could totally, I, I hear you. And not every, it doesn't work for everybody. And it's, it's challenging, 100%. Yeah, yeah. So you and I met in the David Goggins uh, Facebook group, and you told me that you okay. had this story, and yeah. I had I was recruiting for the podcast as I normally do across a plethora of Facebook groups that really align with the right. and goal that I have of talking about rising above adversity. So I wanted to hear your story from your own words, where you have come, because you do have. I think, you know, I block it out of my mind because I want to come from this blank slate. But from when I remember reading the comments, your story was the, like definitely the most inspirational of, of those that I, that of the few people who shared it publicly. So tell, tell me a little more about that. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I mean, I think my whole life, so my, my life basically started in 2015. I, I think I've, I've, I spent every waking moment and sleeping moment up into 2015 just trying to find myself. And, and when you're young, you really don't know how to, you don't know what that means. You just know, like things are uncomfortable and you don't know why, and you don't, how do you ask for help? You know what I mean? So I think when I look back, that was a lot of my problem going through school and just, you know, what came across as a bad kid was just a kid that was just trying to find himself. Um, you know, and, if, and, and that kind of like just followed me the whole way through. Uh, before I wanted to be a teacher, I wanted to be a cop and I had taken all the tests for the, you know, the area police. So I was living in Lancaster, but I was accepted to me. I, I took the test for New York, Baltimore and Philadelphia. And during that time, I took a job at the uh, um, Lancaster County prison. And uh, that job, even that job was actually like that was the universe talking to me because it was during that time that I realized that I really didn't want to be a cop. My idea of what I was going to do versus what it really was, and then the type of people that I would be hanging around kind of made me very uncomfortable. And while I was in jail, well, while I was working in the jail, um, I did help a couple of guys get their GEDs. And it just made it like something clicked. And so that's when I became, well, started school to be a teacher and eventually becoming a teacher. You said that, you um, said that was 2015? Say again? You said that that year was 2015? Well, no, no, no. The year, like, when I, like, when everything comes to it, like, 2015 is like the big pinnacle point. It seemed like everything in my life is working towards 2015. Okay. You, I, I, 
it, it makes sense in my head. No, no <laughs> you know worries, I mean? no worries. Because 2015, tw- that's where I decided to get sober. And so that was just like, that. that's when I was, re- that's when I truly, really found myself, I think. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I become the teacher, and, and the teacher really feels, it feeds my soul. It did back then. It was giving me something that I wasn't getting. And what this job has given me, I can never pay back. N- never. So, but during that time, I also got married. And my first wife, she, I have nothing bad to say about her. It was just the timing of the universe was just a little off for me. Um, I, I, you know, I think every, every relationship, when there's an issue, it takes two to feed that issue or to like fix that issue. And I, I think we were just feeding cause we didn't know how to fix. So, and in the midst of that, yeah, two children and Joey and Maya are beautiful. I love them. And, um, they're 20 and 21 now. And, um, so what happened in the middle of that marriage that was basically taking a downturn, I, uh, I stopped to help a kid push out of snow one night, <laughs> and it's probably it's probably like the 20th year anniversary for that. And I'm I'm pushing him, and I go over to the car to push him out out of the help him push. I slip on some ice, I fall backwards, and I tore my quad tendon. And you know that that just started a whirlwind of over the next 10 years. I have 13 operations, and basically a doctor's prescription pad at my at my asking you know mm-hmm. what I mean I had a doctor that was that was basically giving me as many pills as I needed and at first it was for the pain I mean I had some pretty extensive surgeries over those 10 years but eventually it becomes it, for me it became something more and because of the bad marriage and just my unwillingness to address myself or anything around me I just developed a pretty uh, mean appetite for uh pain pills. And, um, and towards the end, the last year and a half, two years, there was a doctor writing me a script for 300 pills every two weeks. Wow. Wow. So well, you said you yeah, had, torn, and, and you had torn your, your, your what? My, my quad tendon. So my oh. left quad tendon, it oh, attaches wow. to your knee. Yeah. <laughs> and that's a funny story too, because this will give you a little insight to who my dad was. So, like, after I, I, I put my hand down my leg and I'm checking my leg because I felt because there was a loud snap <laughs> and I thought it was a bone. But as soon as I put my hand on my hip, I realized my quad was all jumped up there and I knew what it was. So I had to call an ambulance. And this poor kid is just like, man, I just wanted my car out of the snow. <laughs> so uh, I call an ambulance. I call my dad to come get my car. My dad comes. He, he's like, he comes over to me, you know, and he's an old Italian guy, spent spent a tour in Vietnam. And, you know, he has no time for bullshit ever. And he looks at me, he goes, what are you doing? What happened? I said, I stopped to help the kid. And he kicks me. Why the fuck are you stopping to help a kid? <laughs> and he well. walks away. <laughs> <laughs> and he's a hard ass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that was just him showing. Yeah, you know, you look back on it, he didn't. He didn't know how to express any of those like concerns. That's how they came out. Yep, yep. Um, it, it, it's things about him I didn't realize until after he passed. You know what I mean? Like, you 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 reevaluate, you reflect on things, and it's that's how it came out because he never was taught it. You know, he never learned it. Right. So you're doomed to repeat, right? Yeah. So uh, I'm in the middle. Uh, I'm in the middle of this. Um, 
I'm, I'm at, I'm at, a, I'm coming to a crossroads with the addiction. Um, by this time, I had my divorce. Me and my kids were on. I, I had custody of the kids. We were on our own for about three years, and then uh, Joy, who's my wife, we reconnected. We dated back in the '90s. Uh, it was the wrong time, and somehow we managed. With the universe brought us back together, and it, it's been beautiful ever since. And so. I have everything in my life is like on the right path, but I'm still taking these pills. So I was really fighting that because I knew why I was taking, you know, I knew why I took them. It was because I was trying to numb everything. I just wanted to forget. I didn't want to be with it. Now I know everything is good. I, I, I want to be with it. So while I'm struggling with that, I'm still eating the pills. And then um, October 7th, 2015, I'm sitting down just like I did every night, and I had and I, I drank. Drink drinking was never a problem for me, but it was part of the bigger problem, if that makes sense. So every night I would have a couple of scotches, and I would crumble up some of those pills in those glasses, and drink on them, and and that was my nightly cocktail for like 15 years. So as I'm sitting there, I remembered that a friend had given me a fentanyl patch, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, I got that. And I'm like, the kids are in bed. We're watching TV. Um, all right, I'm going to go check it out. So I go in the back and I grab it. And I'm in the bathroom and I'm looking at it. And I'm like, if I put it on me, Joy is going to see it. Because she's like Superman eyes. Like, she, nothing gets past her. So I'm like, ah, fuck it. I open it up. I raked it all out with a finger and I lined my gum with it. Now, I've, at that point, I've never done fentanyl. I didn't know what to expect, you know, it, when I told my wife this story, and I just told her maybe a year ago because I didn't want her upset her, which it did upset her. Well, I guess you can't protect people, you know what I mean? But um, so I, I lined my gum with it, and, you know, my wife asked me, well, why didn't you just do a little? And I'm like, man, there's no such thing as a little when you're talking to an addict. It's like all or nothing. Right. So I go back to the couch, and I'm sitting there, and, man, that's the – and I still remember it was like the biggest, best, incredible high I've ever had. Um, and while I'm laying there, literally just like one big blob, I noticed that my breathing was getting very labored, like very labored. And um, I'm like, oh, shit. I said, I think I'm going into I think I, I might be OD because there was nothing I can do to get my breath like where I wanted it. It's great that you had a <clears> sense of awareness. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I don't even know why I had that awareness. So now I'm arguing with myself. What am I going to do? I, I don't want to, I don't want to call an ambulance because that'll just, I got my wife, I got the kids. They're going to, and I wasn't ready to tell anybody yet. My kids didn't know. Um, Joy knew I, I took the pills and she gave me my space with it, with a little pressure. Um, but she never came at me. It was never this or that. Cause I honestly, I, I, I was functional and I wasn't abusive and I, and I air quotes on that abusive because that could look a lot of different ways. Yeah, no, of course. G given her the stress of me taking the pills was abusive in itself. So I'm arguing with myself and I'm like, all right, we'll just go for a fucking walk. Here it is October. I'm in shorts and a t-shirt and I'm like, all right, we're going to go for a walk. And, and, and then I'm still like, but man, this high is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So I get up and I put on my sandals and, and I'm walking and I'm, I'm like, Joy, I'm going for a walk. I don't feel good. And she's like, what's wrong? I said, the pills are hitting me the wrong way, which is a believable story. 
And I went for the long, I, I was out there for about 45 minutes. I walked it off. Like I, I was able to get my breath back and everything. And it was at that point that I was like, all right, I got to get sober because I, I can't do this anymore. So October 9th, one day later, I, I wanted to get everything in order. I wanted to get my head in order um, because I knew the detox, because I was doing a cold by myself, I knew it was going to be a challenge. And uh, <clears throat> even though I've detoxed before, it, it, I detoxed before many times, but I wasn't committed, you know what I mean? So it, I, I, I was only lying to myself going through the motions with those prior detox. This time I knew I meant it. So I, I had to mentally prepare for it because it, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily afraid of getting sick. I mean, sick is what it is. It's the, the mental part of it, the, mind, the, the mindset uh, with the cravings and everything else that I had to get my mind wrapped around. So um, I went through the three days. Uh, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. I was probably sick total for about four weeks. Um, but the, the cravings, like my brain was literally hurting. Like it wasn't a headache. Like it was just like somebody just like it just fell and splat. So um, I and I was struggling and I didn't want to relapse. I went and talked to my doctor. My doctor hooked me up with a Suboxone clinic in Lancaster. And I went on that and everything was cool. Like I, I everything was good. I wasn't high and I wasn't drinking and uh, everything was moving in the right direction. And I was just starting the uh, and I went on the uh, whole 30, which was um, which is a diet. It's a, great for what it does. And um I lost about 100 pounds. At the time, I was 275, and I went back. I went down to, like, 180 in, in about three months. And over the course of those three months also, what happened was the Suboxone started to get me high because my tolerance was tanking. So um, we're, we're, I'm about, I was about, at this time, I think it was about 10 months maybe that I was on the Suboxone. So uh, I read about like what the detox would be. Every everybody's talking about weaning off, and like I said earlier, if you're an addict, there's no such thing as weaning. You want it all, and so I just flushed it all down the toilet and went about it cold. Suboxone is the worst drug to ever like fucking. De I'm sorry about the cursing. Ah, no, it's okay. Don't worry. This is this oh, is a this okay. is a very uh, open and vulnerable and raw. It's we're good. Okay. So yeah, suboxone is the worst fucking thing to like. I was sick for nine weeks. Wow. <laughs> like f f I mean, and like severe flu like symptoms for about five weeks. Wow. Um, like it, it, it. This is five years ago. There are days where I'll get in a good yawn and I can still taste it. Uh, it, it's a synthetic opiate, and I think the way it, and the way it attaches to you is just crazy. And like it, it helped me through a difficult point, but had I known I had to walk through that, I never would have done it. <laughs> right. I, I would have just you know I, I would have just bit the bullet and you know grind it out. But yeah, so and I don't. This is my personal experience with it, right? It, it's different for every other recovering addict up out there, and for a lot of them, it's saving their lives. I'm not for for me personally. It, that detox was I detoxed off of oxycontin, which was like four days of like living hell. I'd rather walk through that than go through suboxone again. Right. 
Right. Wow. Well, you know what? I have a question for you. Um, If you, like, I mean, you know, forgive me for the uh, ignorance of this type of thing, but, you know, in the future, especially because you feel like you could potentially relapse off of pills, like, is it, is, is it basically prohibitive to ever, well, I guess you can't take addictive medications or addictive pills in the future, but how, how does that, how does that work? Well, it, it works that I just grit and bear it, basically. I, um, since I've been sober, I have had carpal tunnel surgery and shoulder surgery, and I had a gallbladder out, and no narcotics were used for any of those. Wow. That's, that's um, incredible, incredible stamina, strength, and force. Well, what I'm going to say is, like, every, like, everybody was talking about how bad the carpal tunnel is. And I, the, the doctor gave me the medication anyway, the script for the medication, which I just threw out. Um, I, I, in five years, I've never felt tempted to take pills to get high. So I'm in a, I'm in a really good place. That's great. Um, and booze, I don't miss at all. I'll, I'll have a drink on March 7th just to toast my dad, but that's about it. But even with that drink, I feel that underneath my skin for about three hours. <laughs> it's horrible. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I have the same feeling about I, I don't drink at all because I do feel yeah. it underneath my skin. I don't like the way that feels. I, 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 yeah, I, I get yeah. very sensitive in like my elbows and my not my elbows, my my wrists and my ankles. Like, and I it's, I don't it's it's not a feeling of drunkenness. I've never quite gotten drunk. For, yeah, so I don't like it. Yeah, I get it though. Yeah, I, well, I mean it's it's poison. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so and I'm again I'm hey look if you drink knock your socks off. Um, like I said, I'm, I, I'll have a, a small little drink in honor of my dad, but that's, that's about I forgot where I, I was talking about the Suboxone. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry. so Suboxone, no, no, it's totally fine. It's it's great. So Suboxone was something you were taking when you had you, you had ripped your quad tendon, or is that something that was given to you? No, no. So so through the, through, through the almost, the, through the 10 years of like surgeries and everything, it, it was just different uh, grades of opiates. So I went from Vicodin to Percocet. I had I had about maybe almost 10 months on Oxycontin where I was probably had close to maybe about 180 milligrams in me a day. Yeah, wow. So I mean, it, it was a hefty habit. And then I detoxed off of that. And I detoxed off of that. And I went straight to Vicodin. And that's how I finished out my career. <laughs> <laughs> Your career. Yeah, let, let me let me ask you a weird question, a very personal question. But Percocet is freaking constipating. How the heck do you take that in like such quantities? So I was just talking about this literally to somebody yesterday because I'm glad I brought about, it up. They were talking about opiates and being constipated. I, I'm like, you know what, son of a bitch, I never had to deal with that. Yeah, I guess some people do. So yeah, I I, I never had to deal with that, and I don't know if that has to do with my diet or. I, I have no, I, I literally have no idea. <laughs> well, you're very lucky in that sense. I you know, <laughs> Taking it after giving birth to kids, I mean, maybe that's part of it, but it's really difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah, good yeah. to know. Some people are very lucky, I guess. Yeah. But then again, right. the alternative is you take it and then you, you it's addictive to some and it's per, it, it's constipating to others. So I guess, yep. I guess I'll prefer, yep. I, I prefer the constipation. Although it is, it, it's like, I just, yeah, you know, to kind of walk away from it because there is. Yeah. I, and, and it's not something that I've, I, I mean, I wish because, you know, when you're living that life, you tend to be around more people who are, you know, you, you recognize the pill heads. So, 
And that's a conversation that I could literally say I've never had with any other, like, pillhead. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I sober. Um, I had lost a hundred pounds using, uh, the whole 30 and I put it all back on inside of a year. And I contribute that to it. The whole 30, I've seen it work wonders for people and it does a good job. It just didn't resonate with me. And I think that's how diets go. And it, it's very difficult. The whole 30 is basically eating whole foods for like, it's not whole foods, but you can't like have like my pro- the protein bars I used to live off of, I remember I was very dependent on them when th- when I learned yeah. about the whole thirty. You can't really have processed food at all. It's basically, I guess, right? Right. You want to share? It, it 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 basically it's carbs. That that's what they essentially take out. Yeah. So it's it's almost like it's almost like an Atkins diet. Right. Uh, a very a variation of Atkins. So, but it just didn't, it just didn't resonate with me. Um, but you did it. You did it. You were able to do it. I, I couldn't. I thought about it. I, I read about it, and I'm like, no. I'm yeah, not, I did it, but I put it. I put it right back on. Right. And, yeah. and it's all. And, and it was also during this time I found Bikram yoga. Okay. And and man, I Bikram yoga is like that's what saved my life. I mean, I, I I've always been an avid runner. Um, I played rugby. Uh, you know, I, I ride bike a lot. And but and I just started swimming, which is incredible. But Bikram yoga allowed. I mean, it's just you in this very hot room, looking at a mirror, and it's just you and your shit. And 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 you just got to be there for ninety minutes in the middle of all that and suffer through it. And the only person who could control how bad or how easy that suffering is is you. And let me. I've put I've put hours in studios where I just like no mercy on myself whatsoever. And that's kind of true now, like depending on the exercise, I I might be a little bit harder on myself, but it's coming from a place of uh, love and kindness, not of like hating myself. So that's how Bikram started. But through that, I became, uh, I I found a plant-based diet. Um, Weighing 275, I was on six medications, type two diabetic. Me and my wife were on vacation. My buddy texts me, he goes, hey, do yourself a favor, watch what the hell. And we're in Ocean City and it's like Friday night. We're not doing anything. I'm like, yeah, let's put it on. And that, that was it. We got home Sunday and we were full fledged plant based family. <laughs> oh, wow. You and, know what? I, I'm and, very and into Vistro also. Vistro, say the, again? Vistro the plant based uh, mail order company, they're a great option. So, yeah, just throw it I, I've heard about them. It's um, good. It's good. And well, I'm, I'm picky about food sometimes yeah yeah uh so yeah uh, and that's been four years now and so when i became plant-based the yoga started making more sense okay that makes sense and, and like i i felt like the, i felt like there was a big like shift coming i didn't know what it was but it, uh, all i know is i felt uncomfortable being in my own skin and um what happened was uh my gallbladder got sick and I've had a lot of painful things happen to me. That gallbladder flare up is by far the worst. Wow. Like, because you can't get like no white peak. There's no valley. It's just constant. So I went to the hospital just to make sure I, I, I was okay and not like blocked. And I wasn't blocked. And they're like, so what do you want? And they're listing the drugs. I'm like, man, just give me some like regular, like 
ibuprofen or something through the IV thinking that would help. You know what I mean? And after eight hours, I was tired and I was, they, they hit me with like a very low grade level narcotic. And uh, that was the first time in my system in a long time. And man, that sent me down a rabbit hole. It was, and, and it was like maybe like what the dentist gives you, Tylenol, like four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But man, it, it hits so different than it did like five, you know, four years ago, three, three years prior. So um, while it was a bad experience, it was uh, I thought it was um, proof that or, or just shown my growth, because if I was still in a dark place, it probably would have made me feel good as opposed to like just making me feel like, oh, this is really bad. Right. Wow. So um, transformation. Baby. And yeah, yeah. And, and that's why I. So what happened was with the gallbladder, this is why this is important, because this is where everything just comes together. So I'm already now on a plant-based diet for about a year. I came off most of my medications, but I haven't really lost weight. I, I went from 275 down to like 235. So gallbladder hits, and for that, I went and talked to the doctor, and he's like, he's like, it's bad, but it doesn't have to come out. And I'm like, okay. He said, could that thing happen again, like the flare-up? He goes, oh, that'll happen again. I'm like, then we're taking it out. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to deal with that. I'm on, because I'm on a plant-based diet. I'm doing everything that you would want me to do. That means it just needs to go. It right. serves no purpose anyway. Let's just get rid of it. So for I had to wait two weeks. And for two weeks, man, I, I hit my yoga twice a day at Bikram, all Bikram. And I truly believe that held off another flare-up. I got my surgery on a Monday. That Tuesday night, I was back in the yoga room, just sitting there. But five days later, I was at a full practice. I went into the doctor two weeks later. He's like, what'd you do? And, and I told him, like, he discounted the whole thing, the whole process, the plant-based diet, the yoga, just being mindful, using yoga, food as medicine. He discounted everything. Like, he didn't even want to talk to me. And I, I think that just because he knows it works and he stands to lose money by telling people. <laughs> but so that's when everything came together. And by and eight months later, I had dropped the, the remaining like 90 pounds. Wow. So uh, yeah, without even thinking about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, because the weight had been the focus. Now it was mind, body, soul, spirit, everything, just like a holistic approach. And the weight loss was just the byproduct. Of it. That's awesome. Makes it easier. Yeah. A lot of us are working and, and, our butts off on that. And together. I, what, two, two years, three, almost three years out, and I've sustained it. Wait, I fluctuate. Great. I fluctuate depending on the time of the year, 155 to about 170. That's awesome. So, yeah. cool. Cool. Good for you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. So, I guess I would ask you the self-care, but you're talking about Bikram yoga. That's your big focus? So, Bikram yoga, that was, like, that was my shit. Like, that was it. Um, I was Bikram yoga and running. So, um, when I moved uh, from Pennsylvania, I, I moved to an area that doesn't have Bikram yoga. Oh, no. You got to <laughs> so, start your own. Uh, the, the closest Bikram yoga studio is in Hilton Head. And it's a great studio. But when, when I commit to going to it, when I commit to going there, it's actually, uh, it, it's a four hour commitment. Wow. Because it's, it's an hour to get there, 90 minutes in the room, and then clean up, and then an hour to get home. And I, I can't justify it. You know what right. I mean? Well, it's too much. I'm stingy with my time. And even though I know I need it. So 
what real what really saved me in, in a funny kind of way was these uh like the shutdowns the pandemic yeah because i had a couple of people reach out to me and like oh do you have any yoga videos or anything because they lost their studio so what i um i looked at my wife i said you know what i think i'm just gonna go live a couple of days a week three days a week and give these people something that they can use not asking for any money just you know try to give them a little sense of normalcy and here I am a year later, still doing it over what I think it's, what do we say, over 2,000 hours, of, or two, over 200 hours of yoga. Wow. And it helps you yeah. because you benefit from it as well. So that's great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm more or less life of service. That's where I'm at. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. Good for you. Good for you. So, it's, yeah. it's funny because I was going to say, I'm, as an entrepreneur, I sense an opportunity, but you figured out a better opportunity and you benefit from it and, and, you're, and it's helping everybody in, this, in the context of coronavirus. So, perfect. Right. And, and, and I also started running... Uh, so the first thing you like, I had a lot of people reaching out about plant based and this and that. So I looked at my wife. I'm like, let's just run a group, do a, a six week a plant a lifestyle change, plant based fitness lifestyle change, and um, what you call it. And uh, we'll we'll sick we'll run it for six weeks. But what we'll do in the beginning is spend about three weeks giving them everything they need, like telling them what they should be doing to get ready. To do the six weeks so that they can hit the ground running and they're not doing it cold. And the first, we had a group of, I think it was eight that went through. Everybody had something positive to say. The one part, they were more mindful of their activity and what they were putting in their mouth. Uh, one guy lost 30 pounds. So, yeah, so we were, we, we were just starting a second round and, uh, it, the, the group of people we have, it nothing is random. Like I feel like certain people are just being sent, and but in a way that everybody's connecting and vibing at the same level, and, and it's it's just amazing to sit back and watch. Cause like we'll, we we just had a Zoom meeting and just sitting back and just watching how everybody's just connecting was it, it's been pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm working that end and see where that takes me and you know uh yeah it's another opportunity it's another <laughs> opportunity you're doing yeah cool awesome yep. uh so i have one final question before i bring you back to your students and that question is if you can give an earlier version of frank ignoring your what your dad said about helping the kid i'm going to put that one aside <laughs> if you can give an earlier version of frank some advice what would you tell him be patient good good yeah be patient yeah that makes, that says it all. I, you know, I also feel very, I, I identify with that a lot. I didn't feel like I was living until like my late thirties. I totally get it. Yeah. They say, they say we spend our whole, our entire, like, you know, being a baby and a child, we spend that a whole time running away from being those people. And then we spend our later years trying to get back to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's true. You know, that curiosity. It, it is true. It is true. Yeah, you, you want that ease. You want that lightness in your life. Yeah. You know, I love Goggins. I love what Goggins has done for everybody. But, I, you know, as much as I believe in the stay hard mentality, I do believe that can hurt also. Right. And I, I think, you know, if, if a person to learn to be vulnerable and honest with themselves, it, it, that's where it all starts. Right. You know. Yeah, I honestly, and I had a previous guest called Johnson, and I was telling him, like, Goggins is nuts. 
And a lot of that, it's an amazing book, great book. Yeah. But like, he is, he's just, I'm sorry, he thinks he's human and all humans can relate to him and they should read his book and become human like him. But he's totally superhuman and we're all just readers of his book. We're not, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I we mean, could get there. Yeah, he's like, he's like the same guy that happens to become like a football player, a professional footballer. You know, he's just in a class by himself. And yeah, I, I, <laughs> he's just always so right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's incredible. It's it's incredible. I think everybody should read that stuff. But it's like, yeah, you can't wait, wake up one day and be like, I'm going to be a football player. It's just you, you can't. Yeah. But he could. He could. That's that's a great analogy. I love it. Yeah, yeah. he could. And, 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 man, and he how could. many how many of those people are actually walking around? Exactly. Yeah. A better a better question would be a better question would be how many of those people are walking around. Who haven't tapped into it or are afraid to. Right. And that's and that's why I think he really he is able to exploit that because I think he has that within him. But I think the average human yeah. being, we can definitely try to beat our, our mental defenses. And that's really what his book is about. Going beyond yeah. our mental oh, defenses. Yeah. But it's still like I will tell you, like my mileage pace, if I'm lucky, maybe one day I could get a sub ten minute mile. Maybe. But and, and, and that's normal. Like a lot of people are people my age are doing, you know, six, some people I see somebody yeah. on Strava. She's doing six minute miles. She's insane. It's amazing. But she's insane. too. Uh, it's an inspiration. But it's, it's different. I, I, yeah. That got me laughing because I was listening to a podcast earlier and it was uh, some guy who almost broke the American record for 100K. It was at some Oka event. He, he ran he ran he ran 100K in. Six and a half hours. Crazy. Yeah, and I, I don't know. And, I have to figure out how that works out to miles, but that's that's. Oh, six, it, it, it was miles. like a six oh eight mile. Six. Yeah, and it's it, it just no, but the mileage six oh eight miles, but yeah, that's sixty something miles. It's crazy. Yeah. Six point yeah. two. So he, he. Oh, it's like sixty three miles. That yeah. that that's a hundred k. Yeah. I think sixty three. So he yeah. um he's talking about how he felt the day after. He's like, yeah, the first day, he goes, I was a little sore. So I went out for a very slow jog, you know, like seven, eight minute mile. I'm like, what? <laughs> right, yeah. A very seven, slow eight. jog. You couldn't even say nine. If I could, a nine. That would be me running at my fastest. Like that. And then I used to be a sprinter. I, I was definitely more of a sprinter. I was not a cross country runner until maybe until 2018. And I still don't consider myself anything of that sort. But just that's that's insane like i don't I, I admire those people i realize that there are like you said there are people sitting on untapped areas potential. of person potential yeah and that wealth that there's there and, and and like how many people if they were to pick up a violin would be able to be like a incredible incredibly amazing violinist i'm sure there are people out there i'm sure not there i'm sure, sure. i'm sure there's i'm sure there is somebody living here right now who has never touched a violin who is likely to be the best ever player and they will die never ever having touched it. Like those are that's the time. I think about that all the time as well. It's an interesting. It's cool story. and sad at the same time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like we need to. It's like it's like there needs to be. And maybe you know you're in education, so you got to think about this. But I think there needs to be like a school program where like we just try everything. Just try everything. The try everything school. I agree. You know when they when they talk about teaching to the whole child, they almost have to laugh because the first things they get they cut are like the arts. The arts. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know what I mean? The physical activity. I'm like, you can't cut programs and say you're, you know, you're you're addressing the whole child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so yeah. much out there. I think there's a lot, and 
I mean, I'm, I'm glad. Kids love yoga. yoga. <laughs> Kids I, love you know, I, I, I'm not flexible enough for, for, I don't know about Bikram yoga because that's not something that I've done, but I, I can't do like the, the downward dog. Well, well, so here's the thing. Here's the thing, right? Yeah. No one starts off being able to do that stuff. Well, you don't, downward you, you dog know, is you, easy. You do. Right. But I'm, I'm just saying, so Vinyasa and Bikram are very, two different philosophies. So Bikram, you want to force the pose, you want to feel the, you want to feel pain. Right. Which, right, that, that it's all about the suffering and, and the pain. That that's the philosophy. All right. The, the instructor will even say you should feel pain. That's good. <laughs> On the opposite side, you got vinyasa, which is weight. You're being easy, kind, and loving to yourself in poses. I didn't know that. So, yeah. So it, it's too different. So. Where in Bikram, you want to force something in Vinyasa. So if, if I can't get my my leg parallel to the ground, it's okay. I could, you know, It's okay. You know what I mean? I don't have to force it. So you could be as easy or hard on yourself, but that's just up to you and your practice. Okay. Right. All right. For me, I'm So you want a quick story about how I got into yoga? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Teaching? Sure. Go for it. So my... So it, Yoga teaching, right? So I was in Bikram. I was starting to meditate. I knew how, I knew what it was doing for me. At this time, I was the assistant principal at um, at a K through eight school in in our district. And there are certain kids you just see every day because they're always getting in trouble. And I had about twenty three of them out of a population of about eight fifty. Good kids, but just. You know, they just needed it. So my buddy started working at a yoga studio downtown, the House of Yoga in York, PA. Give Jackie a little shout out if I'm allowed. And um, I, par I partnered with them and I brought them uh, and, and we developed a program to service those kids. Only 15 signed up out of, out of the group. And then we had 11 stick it through. And kids that were normally cursing me out every other day were now maybe doing it like once a week but owning it the accountability was there and that was after several weeks of doing yoga for an hour with with Jackie and Jason for uh, for three times a week so my, my principal believed in me and I believed in the program so we actually put money towards it, which if you know inner city schools, we don't have a lot of. So it was an investment for sure. It was during that time that I, I had just gotten sober, just found Bikram, and Jackie was running a, a teacher training. Now, you, you talk about like your old self. <laughs> All I could see is my 16-year-old self like laughing at me like, fucking yoga teacher, really? <laughs> So, uh, and it was never on my radar. So I was just like, no, nah, I can't. Do it. It's just not something I'm looking to do right now. She asked me again, like maybe a couple weeks later. And I was like, Jackie, nah, it's just, I don't see myself like it's, this isn't why I'm doing it. She's like, okay. And for whatever reason, she just saw it. Like she just saw what was there. And um, so two weeks before the yoga training started, I was, uh, I was at the house of yoga doing a vinyasa practice Um and afterwards, she comes up to me. She goes, what about if uh, I give you, you take the training on a scholarship, meaning I wouldn't have to pay for it? 
So I'm like, man. <laughs> so the universe is, I, I feel like the universe is like shouting at me now. Like, you either going to do this, and if you don't, I'm going to turn it, you know, the universe is just going to kick me in the nuts. So um, I, I agreed to it. Those two weeks, so yoga training isn't about yoga, it's about your, you and your own shit. And that was like, and that was like, the at that point because i had just gotten sober and everything that was the, like the exclamation point um for everything and it actually gave me the tools i needed to go into like the next year and a half where my dad would get really sick and you know eventually pass away i mean he was already sick but you know everything just kind of came to a, a head point. and if i didn't have those tools and uh, i would have been dead one way or another i think Especially if I if I didn't gain my sobriety, I, that yeah, I I think that might have killed me with just because I know how I was with that. So yeah, uh, yeah. So yoga training is definitely about you and your own shit, and and just getting clear of it so you could be good for other people. Right, and you know I've I've read something about this, uh, or rather rather I heard it in a different podcast about how uh, there was a guy who like went on a meditation retreat for for like a week and it's it's like the hardest thing ever you're like basically on like straw but it mentally yep. it's, it's all about mental preparation more than anything else yeah yeah it's really interesting yep. I, I don't know if, if i wasn't was married i'd probably go to india and look for and look for like an echelon to to like become a monk yeah that, that's kind of like that's kind of like where i am in my in my life right now like i would like to know what that feels like and what that's about like experience that i identify with that but i don't know if i could ever do it Although I, I do have that curiosity, that innate curiosity as well, living that kind of lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. cool. To be happy with nothing. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I have one final question, I guess, is and, and I don't know how practical it is because we, you know, we've been in a different context, but uh, how do people find you if they're interested in like learning more? I'd say the easiest way is through Facebook. I, I, I'm also on Instagram, but I don't show that a lot of uh, attention. I, I think it has something to do with my age and it's just too many platforms. I'm trying to, I'm going to try, my, my daughter's going to help me out with this. She, she likes that social media stuff and so she's going to help me out with it. So I am on Instagram by my name. Frank Palmieri. Same thing with Facebook. Uh, feel free to shoot me a message. Um, yeah, uh, I, I'd be more happy to help anybody that needs it and, you know, go from there. Well, cool. Thank you so much for your time. It was really, really fun to like learn from you and share, <laughs> share your journey. And yeah, thank you again. Thank, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed this. Cool. Cool. Thank you all again for tuning in. This is your host, Tamar Weinberg of the Common Sense Podcast. Until next time.